0: And if you are staying in here, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Now, I'm reading from a version, a translation of the Bible called the NIV, 1984 edition. Um, But if you have the ESV, it's pretty close. um, Or whatever other translation you might have with you this morning. Um, They'll be pretty similar, especially for this particular parable. So we've been walking through, as a church, over the last several months... It's been months now. We've walking through the book of Matthew, and we've looked at uh, what uh, the teaching of Matthew is about, especially Jesus, because the book of Matthew talks a lot about Jesus' his birth, his life, um, and we're getting to the death and resurrection in the book. So, but one of the things uh, we've talked about is that there's a summary verse for the whole book. Does anybody remember what the summary is for the whole? The summary verse is for the whole book of Matthew. I w- yes. It's- the kingdom of is at hand. Well done. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The book of Matthew is all about the kingdom. And so we, in chapter 13 now, are going to get to look further at what Jesus teaches about his kingdom. It's known as the kingdom of God, or in Matthew often it's called the kingdom of heaven. So let's read about it. We're now, we're in verse 44. We, we read about a couple kingdom parables last week. But we're going to read about two more today. We're only going to read verses, we're going to read verses 44 to 46, and then we'll skip down to 53. So first, we'll start with 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had And bought it. And then skipping down to 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. It all started on a dark and breezy night in the year 1795. There was a teenager named uh, McDaniel McGinnis. And he witnessed these sort of ethereal lights floating through the trees on an island just across from where his family home was. Now, this island uh, was not very far, so the next morning he woke up and he rowed his small boat over to this particular island and he decided to check out and see if he could figure out where the lights were coming from. He didn't discover any lights. But he did find a depression in the ground about 12 feet across, a hole, or so it seemed. And he also discovered that the tree above the hole looked like it had been turned into some sort of pulley system where you would have lowered things and, and brought things up through this depression in the ground. So he started digging, right? That's the natural thing to do. And he knew when he started digging that approximately 100 years before, this had bec- this, these islands near Nova Scotia, Canada, were famous for being the place that pirates would stash their treasure So you can imagine where his imagination went. And so Oak Island brought in its first victim. He spent the entire summer digging in this one little spot on this tiny island called Oak Island. Now, about three feet down, they found flagstone, so they knew someone had been messing with this spot. Then about ten feet down, they found wood timbers that went all the way across the opening, this hole. And then they went down another ten feet and found more timbers, but then under that, there was dirt, and they had wasted their time and spent their summer, and all they had to show for it was some dirt and some wood timbers. Kind of sad. But the oldest boy, who had started to kind of feel the tug of possible buried treasure... The oldest boy in that group decided to buy the land. And he spent, you know, much of his life looking in that same hole. Now, other companies were brought in too to start digging. At one point, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was uh, a part of the digging team. He literally went to the hole to try to dig. They got down uh, 30 feet more timbers, 40 feet more timbers. Then they found an inscription in this strange language about 50 feet down. And you have to remember, this was dug before 1795. To this date, millions and millions of dollars have been spent. John Wayne was involved at one point. Millions of dollars have been spent on this one little hole, on this one little island in Nova Scotia. You can actually watch chronicles of it. It's recent chronicles. The people who are spending millions currently, you can watch it on the History Channel. It's called The Curse of Oak Island. But, after all these millions have been spent, you know how much value and worth they pulled out of that hole? Take a guess. Good job. Zilch. But, but to our point this morning, uh, we're going to talk about digging... And using very little effort and very little money, very little cost to get down deep. And treasures that keep overflowing out. And that's what Jesus was talking about with this kingdom parable. But let's talk a little bit about the story first. It's not unusual that someone, especially in the ancient Near East, around the time that Jesus was teaching this passage in Matthew, it's not unusual that there would be people who actually did bury their wealth wasn't that strange. Uh, It seems strange to us now, I know, because we have banks, right, where we put our money and we just use a little credit card to pull it out. But back then, they didn't have banks. And so if you had accumulated any amount of wealth, you had to do something with it. And a lot of people would hide it in their house. Um, But sometimes if if there was a raiding party coming, which, again in this part of the ancient Near East, was very common. That there was constant sort of government upheaval or, you know, you would be taken over by another kingdom or another king that would move into the place. And so often you would have to hide your wealth. And it would not be unusual that after hiding your wealth that you didn't make it through the change in government. That you were one of the ones who were killed by the people who had come in to take over your particular area. And thus, your treasure would be buried in a field for someone to find. And that's what we find exactly what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He's saying there's this person, this man, and he's walking across a field and he discovers something. Probably a small coin, maybe he found a little jar buried just below the surface. And he, and he quickly realized, there's more here. This is exception, this, this field has some exceptional value in it. Uh, we also see, and this would not be unusual at the time, in the other part of the story, we find a pearl merchant, right? And now, pearls back then were much more valuable than they are today. Pearls today, I mean, how many of you ever bought a real pearl? Somebody bought a real pearl? Give me a ballpark price for a real pearl today. What do you think? A few hundred bucks ish? Yeah, 100, 200 bucks for a pearl. Back then, there were pearls at that time that were worth in the millions, in the billions of dollars. Uh, billions of dollars. So if you were a pearl merchant, you were wealthy, right? And if you were a uh, someone who worked in a field who might have found this hidden treasure that, that Jesus talks about in this passage, you were probably poor. So we find out very quickly in Jesus' parable, that is his story of teaching spiritual truth through a concrete example, we find in this parable that the men who were looking for these treasures, they were very different, right? One was, one was a worker in a field, so he's probably poor. One was a, a, a merchant of pearls, which means he was definitely rich. To be a, someone who was dealing with that kind of uh, money, that kind of wealth, you were definitely rich. So they're very different. One one stumbled across the treasure, right? He was just walking through a field, and whoa, hey, a jar, a coin. You know, wow, this is amazing. Just... Sort of surprises him. But then the merchant was actually out looking. Like He's looking for good pearls. He's actually searching for pearls. So there's, there's a lot of differences between these two people that Jesus is using to talk about the kingdom, to talk about uh, what it's like in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. But there are some similarities. Did you notice the similarities? Let's turn back there really quick. Um, we we found the word joy... In the first one, and we understand that joy would also fit the second one. So there, there was a sense in which this discovery was brought incredible happiness. They were surprised by it, but they were also incredibly filled with joy. And not only that, they were willing to go back and sacrifice a lot. In fact, it says Jesus says each of them—the man who found the field and the man who found the pearl of great price—they were willing to sell. Everything. They liquidated their entire net worth so that they could get this incredible treasure, something in this field, and there was this pearl that was totally amazing. And we noticed from that fact, we noticed uh, one other thing. And this is, this, these will be our main principles we'll work with today as we look at this passage. Um, two principles spiritual treasure is buried, spiritual treasure is buried in unexpected places and spiritual treasure is worth selling all for. So to kind of, we'll break out the first point like this. Spiritual treasure is buried. Here's how we're going to break out this first point. Spiritual treasure is buried in unexpected people. It's buried in an unexpected message and it's buried in an unexpected savior. Okay, so that's the spiritual treasure being buried. And then secondly, we're going to look at how when discovered, spiritual treasure wows. Spiritual treasure is worth selling everything. And we'll kind of dig that a little bit uh, <laughs> further. So let's get started. Let's get started on this passage that Jesus. There's some amazing truths here. This has been uh, a delightful week for me to dig into this passage. It's amazing what all's going on in this short little verse that Jesus talks about the kingdom. So we live in a superficial age. We live in a superficial society in a superficial age with superficial interactions. We... We know what it's like to try to define ourselves by the clothes we wear. We know what it's like uh, to try to define ourselves by the cars we drive. We know what it's like to try to define ourselves by the homes we buy, the posts we post on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat. We all know what it's like to be defined by the brand of juice we drink, the stores we frequent, the gifts we give. It goes on and on. We know what it feels like to be superficial and to act in a superficial way. Now, what is superficial? It's outward. It's surface level. It's, another word for it is skin deep. Um, That's what superficial means. Also, another way to think about superficial is that it's something that seems real, something that seems authentic, but upon closer examination turns out to be false or fake. That's superficial. Thus, if you're like me, thus, we often think that spiritual treasure, spiritual truth is going to come from the good-looking gurus. Right, we we easily get sucked in this. I mean, you watched. I watched it this week, as I looked at Twitter, and I, I watched as Joel Austin's followers defended his actions after Hurricane Harvey, um, which is sad. Joel Austin, he admittedly he gets picked on all the time, but this is a guy. <laughs> to, to be fair, he's a great punching bag, uh, who sort of who sort of is the epitome of superficial uh, spiritual truth. Right, dishing out tickling ears, telling people what they want to hear. You know, you are great, best life now, just have positive thoughts and you're going to have a positive life. Boom, done. Uh, So utterly superficial. Uh, But he's not the only one. I mean, we often will think, okay, spiritual treasure is going to come from like uh, professors, like UVA professors, or spiritual treasure is going to come from biblical scholars. That's where you're going to find all of your spiritual treasure, your spiritual truth. Go there, read the right books, Uh, Look at the right things. But the reality is, according to Jesus in this parable, that isn't the case. Paul, the apostle, who wrote much of the New Testament, he puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, he says in verse 26 of chapter 1, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. There it is again. Right? That's Paul's sort of unpacking of Jesus' point in this parable. Of spiritual treasure is going to be found in unexpected people. Spiritual treasure is going to be found in the middle schooler who has special needs. It's going to be found in the old man who has really bad breath and that you often don't want to be around. Spiritual treasure is going to be in unexpected people. It's not going to be in the place where all the polish is well, the looks are. That's what Jesus is teaching us. I, I remember sort of experiencing this firsthand when we, when we moved to Charlottesville. And I went to this restaurant called Zazu's, which is uh, on Ivy Road, which is fairly nearby here. And I was standing in line, and the guy I was eating lunch, I was there to meet someone, and the guy I was meeting lunch with, he was like, hey, look behind us. And I looked behind us, and I'm like, so? I was brand new to town. Only been here for about a month. And he's like, that's Tony Bennett. I was like, Tony Bennett, help me out. Help me out. Yeah, and the, okay, I know now. Okay, I was really embarrassed. So the basketball coach of UVA. Uh, and so we struck up a conversation. Because again, I'm not intimidated. I'm like, whatever, dude behind me in line. And so we struck up a conversation. I find out in that conversation that I'm, he's like, what are, you, what, are, you know, what are you up to? I moved here a month ago. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be planting a church. He's like, that's awesome. I'm like, what? I was like, what? He's like, that's awesome. He's like, I helped plant a church. I mean, I was shocked. When he was in Australia, he helped plant a church. Uh, and to the best of my knowledge, he's a believer. Uh, and so for a moment there, I had this, this feeling, this incredible feeling of like, okay, what we're doing is like important. Like we're known by people like Tony Bennett. And in fact, Chrissy told me that one of our friends who moved here from Durham, North Carolina, just recently, uh, they were at church. And they saw Tony Bennett at church, and they start struck up a conversation with him. And uh, he, they were like, "Yeah, we just moved from Durham, North Carolina. We just, you know, we're getting to know our, some of our friends here who are planting a church." And he's like, "Oh yeah, I remember meeting Nathan." I was like, "What?" <laughs> Again, going, "Yep, <clears throat> yeah," feeling good about myself. But the reality is, I know from Jesus' teaching here that I have got to be careful because this is Tony Bennett's probably not where spiritual truth, spiritual treasure, is going to come from having Tony Bennett be a part of what you're doing, being part of the church plant, right? Because I remember thinking, especially after our first conversation, what if I got Tony Bennett to come to church? <laughs> there you go. The crowds will come, you know. But again, Jesus is teaching me here. He's like this, Nathan, That is Tony Bennett's probably an awesome person, and I think very highly of him. And, I'm, and he's, he's amazing. But Jesus is like, this isn't, that's not where spiritual treasure is. It's in unexpected places. And I think we have an application here for all of us. Um, we live in a very divided community here in Charlottesville. You know, it, there's, there's a lot of... And, 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 and really, we live in a divided country. I mean, people just divide themselves. It's what we do. It doesn't really matter where you live. We just feel it in particular a little more heavily here in Charlottesville as, as of recently. But we divide ourselves by superficial things. It's what we do as human beings. We find superficial things to create... Divides, barriers, reasons we can't interact with someone or reasons we shouldn't interact with someone. And I think Jesus is teaching us here, stop. Stop looking for polished friends and people that are the right circles that you need to be in and be around all the time. Like, just go to people that you normally wouldn't, right? Look for people to befriend that you normally wouldn't that aren't all polished up and that aren't all good looking and that aren't all going to help you make your few little steps up the ladder. And I think that's what thats what Jesus, there's part of the message here that Jesus is teaching of when you're when you try to move up the ladder, right, you're going to be stepping on people and you're going to be looking to get in the right in crowds. That's just the goal that's there. And for those of you who are single, I think there is a particular... Uh, application for those of you who are single in this passage, uh, teenagers, college students, whatever it might be, about you're going to look for a spouse that is that is polished, good looking, has got all the, the sparkle and the shine. That's just that's how it works. But I think Jesus is saying here, don't. Don't do that. Why? Because that's not where spiritual treasure is found. There are, there are tons of people, I guarantee, that you could that you could date and you could go and find and love that are going to bring way more spiritual treasure into your life that may not be the sparkle and the shine on the outside. Just a reminder, just a, a thought uh, out of the, the application of, of this context. So, so to end that point, spiritual treasure is buried in unexpected people, but spiritual treasure is also buried in an unexpected message. Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you can experience his grace through his death and resurrection. That's the message of the gospel. Just like the man, or I should say, just like the people who passed by the field with the treasure in it, the guy sold everything to buy, we often walk by the gospel message like, yeah, heard that. Yeah, heard that. Like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross from our sins and uh, repent and believe, and uh, yeah, grace comes through believing. You know, okay, yeah, heard it a thousand times. But we have to be careful because all that common little message, Contains all of the spiritual treasure you will ever need for your entire life. Think about that. And if you think that's hyperbole, go back to it. <laughs> it contains all the spiritual treasure you will ever need. It is the gospel. We don't move beyond it. It's like a. It's like think of it. The, the gospel is like that. Is like that. Uh, you know, treasure I talked about at Oak Island that hole, but it's the opposite of that hole. Right? It doesn't take much effort at all to dig. Just dig into the, the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you could be forgiven of those sins and receive his grace that God gives. Keep digging on that. That hole is bottomless. And you will discover new facets of it and how it, it will change. It will literally start to change your life as you focus in on it, as you dig deeper into it. The treasures will just keep pop, coming up. It's like a, an overflow of treasure. And so, um, last last point about unexpected treasure and the way that it comes in unexpected places. Look at Jesus himself. Look at Jesus himself. Isaiah chapter 53. We have no... Okay, first of all, in the New Testament, we have no physical descriptions of Jesus whatsoever. None. And the only one that we've got is in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. And it says, he ain't much to look at. That's a summary of Isaiah 53. He ain't much to look at probably short, kind of ugly. Nothing, nothing about him would make you notice him. Nothing. Even if you walk in this room right now, you'd be like, dude's coming in. Whatever. Unexpected Savior. And then on top of that, I have a friend, a good friend, who went to Israel and he got to walk in all these different places that Jesus was born in, he was taught in. He got to go to Bethlehem, he got to go to Nazareth, he got to go to Capernaum, these places that Jesus taught in. And I said, oh, that's awesome. I was like, what was it like? That's incredible. He's like, it was super underwhelming. That's my only description. He's like, it is a, they, these are backwater towns in the backwoods of the back place you would never go. He's like, they're tiny. They're unassuming. No one lives there still today. No one lives there. They're tiny little farming towns. There's. He's like, I'm convinced of the truth of the gospel more than ever after visiting. I was like, why? He said, this could and should have never happened. This thing we call Christianity. It it is impossible. He's like, it is impossible. If you look at where this person was born and what kind of family he was from. And that's why I read the end of this chapter here, chapter 13 of Matthew. Did you notice in the chapter where they're going, the crowds around him, you go back to uh, verse 53, Coming to his hometown, so he's back in his hometown, this tiny little town, backwater town, right? You know, all his disciples are these fishermen and nobodies. They're nobodies. In fact, they're tax collectors. People don't like them. People hate the friends he's hanging out with. He's hanging out with prostitutes, tax collectors. He's got these fishermen who are uneducated hanging out with him. And he comes back to his hometown and they say, wait a minute, where did this dude get this wisdom? Isn't this the carbon discern? Isn't this the brother of Mary and these other guys? Isn't this the brother of James, Joseph, Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? He's, he's a nobody. He is a nothing. And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. They were offended by him. Who do you think you are? You're a nobody from a nowhere town who's doing nothing. Which is not true, because earlier in the passage it said he did miraculous signs. So, obviously, they just refused to believe. Y'all, I mean, have you ever pondered it? Have you ever really just pondered it? The, The commonness of Jesus, the commonness of where he's from, the commonness of the message, and yet, he says, right here in his parables, there is incredible spiritual treasure buried in unexpected places. You would walk by it. You, would, you will walk by it. You have walked by it. There is spiritual treasure buried here. Okay. So final point. Spiritual treasure is buried in unexpected places. If you want religion with some pizzazz and sparkle, this is not it. God came down and humbled himself. It's called incarnational ministry. And we, it's the, the paradigm of Christianity is God came down. He incarnated. He was glorified up high it came down to be with the lowly, to be with the people, to, to become human. We do the same. It's the paradigm of Christianity. We go lower. We go lower. Always. It's what we're called to do. But let's talk, let's end with the spiritual treasure piece. Good. All right. We're tracking on time. Spiritual treasure wows. That's our final point. Spiritual treasure wows. These guys went, these guys in the story, this parable Jesus is telling me, they went and sold everything they had, liquidated their net worth, so that they could get this spiritual treasure, this incredible truth. And I, I, I'm, I'm just going to scratch the surface here. We don't have time to go into the depth of this. But I just want us to get, get us thinking a little bit about what that means. Jesus is doing, on purpose, Jesus is doing a comparison with money. Jesus often did this. He would do comparisons with money. He would say, I know you've put your heart into money because that is the human way and that's the superficial way. I do it. I put my heart into money. Why? Because money brings some great things. Money brings things like security. Security. Ah. I just have enough in my bank account. I'm going to be fine if I can pay off my school loans. Yes, there's some security there. It also brings peace and happiness. You can buy happiness, right? At least to some degree. You buy pleasure. You know, we can buy friends to some degree. Um, Money, money helps people love us. (laughs) People like to hang out people with money. You can, get, you can get hangers on if you've got money. But now Jesus, is, he's purposefully doing a comparison with money. He's saying spiritual treasure is like that. Spiritual treasure will bring security, but it's going to be security forever. It's not going to be security that could go away with the next crash of the stock market or the next missile that gets fired from North Korea. I'm going to bring you security from eternal damnation. Security from condemnation security from the wrath of God. I'm going to bring true security. That is spiritual treasure. Also, think about happiness. You know, we watch this, sh- Christy and I watch this show. We'll talk about happiness for a minute. It's called The Wall. You ever seen this? You have seen The Wall? Okay, it's a game show. And you guys, you guys remember watching this game show? So what they do is they take basically like kickballs that are lit up, and they drop kickballs down. It's like a pachinko, a massive pachinko board. I don't even know what pachinko is, but basically there's all these pins and the ball bounces around and it's really random and then it lands in slots at the bottom and there's different money uh, amounts attached to the slots at the bottom and you can actually win a lot of money. We've seen people win, on a game show, we've seen people win like 1.2 million. Like 1.2, and we've seen people win zero, but 1.2 million. But I just, the only thing that I always notice about the show and I think Jesus is speaking to here this morning is they always, to make a story out of it because it's good TV, they have the two people who are going to be uh, kind of competing uh, with one another, not against each other, but with one another. They work together. They have them talk about it's going to be so life changing, and we have all these plans, and we're going to help starving kids in Africa, and it's ah. Oh. And they just talk about like life change, and tears are rolling down their eyes, and the commentators like, oh, money is going to just make everything better. Everything is going to be better when we have this money. But what do we know as normal human beings? What does more money often bring? Mo problems. (laughs) And they're not going to show that on a show. I get that. It's a TV show, right? But it does. There's never been someone who has won a million dollars who would say unequivocally, my life is better. They they wouldn't. Most, I guarantee most people would say, it's been a bumpy road and probably worse now than it was before I won the million dollars. You know, I don't know if anybody actually loves me anymore. I stay awake at night worrying about all of my assets. And I, you know, my accountant is beginning to embezzle a little bit from what I got. And, ah, just take it away from me. Just take it away from me. It's not going to bring happiness. Jesus assures us of this in the Beatitudes, which is at the very beginning of Matthew. We've already covered it in Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus knows. He knows. He's God. He knows where treasure is found. He knows the only things that are going to truly satisfy our soul, and he offers them to us. And that's what he means with the kingdom of heaven. When he talks about these these parables, talking about the treasures. They go deep. True happiness found in the treasure, spiritual treasure. True peace, spiritual treasure, love, and I'll I'll close with love and meaning. One we'll with love and meaning and grace. <laughs> love, love. We spend much of our life, tons of our life, trying to get love from other people, or trying to at least meet up to the standards that other people have for us. Trying to at least get them to like us, um, and it's exhausting of other people because they never really give it to you, right? They're always going to hold back a little bit because they don't know you well enough because they don't know your heart. But God comes in and He says, I know your heart. I know your heart and through the gospel message, I love you. I love you. I know your heart. I actually have seen the depth of it and I love you. That's the type of love that is a spiritual treasure. And lastly, meaning. Meaning. We had the, we, you know, we put up the catechism question about what is the chief end of man? Um, meaning, spiritual treasure actually brings meaning to life. Now that Jesus is offering that type of treasure. That we don't have to stay up at night worrying about what is the point of it all? What is the point of my life? What is the point of existence? What is the point of the world? What is the point of? No, it's I am created to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. It's all about Him. And that is the type of spiritual treasure that comes from being in the kingdom.